You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Kevin Johnson. I'm pastor here at Macedonia United Methodist Church. I welcome you this morning. We continue in a series this morning um, where we have been talking about belief matters. And and specifically this morning, um, we are talking about the phrase from the Apostles' Creed that says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And um, for many of us, we don't know what to do when we say that because we're sitting here and we're like, but I'm not Catholic. So what do you mean? And so we're going to address that this morning and talk a little bit about what that means um, and also talk about how we believe uh, in, in the Catholicity of the church uh, when we have so many different denominational expressions of church and what that means. So I invite you to hear these words then from Matthew 16 uh, in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Small talk and icebreakers are an interesting and awkward event. Typically after the name introduction, we ask some form, at least when we're grown-ups, of this. Like, what do you do for a living? And conversation can either begin there or end from that launching point. But when you're in seminary, the conversation is quite different. Because after the initial introduction, and we introduce your name and maybe where you're from, the first question that you'd ask someone is this. So what denomination are you? And immediately, the work of sorting each other out would begin. When I would say Baptist, I would immediately qualify it with, but not that kind of Baptist. That was part of the code. Others would answer Methodist, which was kind of blasé at a Methodist seminary to answer. They weren't very interesting. Others would say non-denominational, and one would wonder if they couldn't make up their mind. A few would say Lutheran, and then they would have to qualify which Lutheran group. Someone might say Episcopalian, and then follow up with, but I believe in the Bible. And then someone might say Catholic, and they seemed really cool, because we all had taken church history and understood they had a leg up on the rest of us Protestants. I wish I was kidding you, but this literally was the first question that we would ask one another. On one level, it was an innocent one. It was interesting. It was a way to understand a little bit more about who someone was. On another level, however, this question is a condemnation upon the church. We were all brothers and sisters in Christ in seminary, yet we quickly found ourselves wondering if someone was in our tribe or not. And we did what happens in every church and middle school lunchroom. 
You found people that were like you and you hung out with them. The 20-something single liberals hung out with each other. The black students who felt marginalized at such an overwhelmingly white institution banded together. The second career people with kids in college found each other. Divide within the church happens indeed at the local level. Every one of us at Divinity School had learned how to find our place and navigate in our local church. But when we all got together, we in a sense represented the divides in our church and culture. And at some time or another in Divinity School, every single person sees this divide and then reflects on it when they experience a church fight or conflict, and they wonder, what kind of mess did I get myself into? And then they wonder if they should quit and do something else altogether. Because when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we have to do so with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek or maybe our fingers crossed behind us. For we recognize that the church is not very holy or united. And it never really has been. Paul lays out the issue that was going on in Corinth for us. Apparently, factions had developed over a certain preacher's teaching or leadership. Some people liked Paul just fine when he came around, but others liked Apollos. Listen to what Paul describes. After all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants who helped you to believe. Each one had a role given to them by the Lord. I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Because of this, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but the only one who is anything is God who makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together, but each one will receive their own reward for their own labor. So in the first 20 years of the church, that's when this is written, 20 or 30 years in, there are already extensive divisions. They must have been significant, for Paul felt they were worthy of this level of correspondence. In fact, 1 Corinthians is 16 chapters long, basically all geared around this issue of division and factions within the life of that church community. Paul wants to remind the church that he and Apollos are on the same team. Sure, they probably have different preaching styles. They might have different ways of explaining how God is working, but God is the one giving the growth. Paul wants the Corinthians to see that division within the church is a fracturing of Christ's body. In that sense, then, denominations are an anti-Christian entity. For we spend so much time and energy focusing on what divides us as opposed to what unites us. The church across the street is gathering right now. They are worshiping the triune God. They are seeking to understand how God is speaking to their lives. They are bringing their prayers and their requests and their hurts and pains to God. But we want to pigeonhole them and all other churches for their differences compared to us. And when we say things like, well, we like having a small church where we know everyone, or look at all that we do locally, we are really saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. And when we say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, let me make one thing clear. We are not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. This designation did not exist when the creed was written in the 300s. There was just the church. Catholic is, this, is a term derived from Greek that means everywhere, in all places. By including this in the creed, we are saying that all around the globe there are people doing what we are doing today and worshiping Jesus as Lord. And we are saying that this commonality outweighs every difference that we might have. But we know that this is not completely true. Division obviously weighs upon us 
as a denomination right now. And I need you to know that this is not new. The first great division of the Holy Catholic Church happened almost 1,000 years ago in the year 1054. In that year, something happened called the Great Schism. You might not have heard about that since your Western Civ class in high school, and you might have just glazed over it then. And the technical details of this division are not important for us today. But let's just say that the entire church split on the basis of one Latin word in the creed. This split created what is known today as the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. The names chosen, Catholic and Orthodox, by each are interesting and unfortunate. By using the name Catholic, the church in the West, right, based in Rome, was saying that they are the true universal church. And by using the name Orthodox, the church in the East was saying that they had the market on right belief and right worship. These are the two oldest groups of Christians, the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic. Both have a claim to be the trunk of Christianity's family tree. But this trunk has a split in it. Both of these family lines trace their lineage to Peter on the basis of him being the first apostle. That reading that I read from Matthew 16 describes Jesus founding the church upon Peter, calling him the rock, right? That's where the name Peter comes from. And on this rock, I will build my church. He gives him the keys to the kingdom. In a sense, all churches trace their lineage way back to that moment. But every fork in the tree of denominations makes this tracing a little bit more difficult. So if division has existed since Paul in Corinth, and division has officially been in place since this great schism almost 1,000 years ago, how can we say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church with a straight face? Well, we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church as a prayer. Adam Hamilton says it this way. He says, the church is, a continu- is the continuing presence of Christ in the world. So as much as we mess up and are bad examples and don't do it right and divide, the church is the vehicle by which the Holy Spirit makes Jesus known in the world. Part of the issue with denominations in our country is that they are a distinctly American phenomenon. I have grown to love grocery shopping at a discount grocery store, which after doing my sermon series upon my own frugality in the fall, you would have no surprise at. So I like going to Lidl to grocery shop. Here's what I like about Lidl. I don't have many, if any, choices. If I need wheat bread, there's the loaf of wheat bread. If I need frozen peas, there's the frozen peas. And they're like 77 cents, right? And and the, and the wheat bread's 99. But when I go into a traditional grocery store like Harris Teeter or Food Lion, I'm overwhelmed now by the number of choices that I have. There are 10 brands of whole wheat bread, and I have to find the one that is both good for us and on the best sale. There are six different bags of frozen peas, and if I buy five of the name brand kind, it's cheaper than the store-bought kind. But I have to do the math first. The choice becomes never-ending. We're used to it here in suburban America, but it's really overwhelming and unnecessary because there's only so many places where frozen peas come from, right? Like all they're doing is slapping a different bag. They're putting them in a different bag, right? The church landscape of America is like the bread shelf at Harris Teeter. There isn't that much different besides that packaging, and churches got really angry at each other about the packaging, so they made a new brand. Meanwhile, younger shoppers have gotten smart and realize that the store brand is made in the same place as the highly advertised brand, and they think the whole thing is a farce now, so they ditch bread altogether. They don't even come in the store. 
Am I saying that our factions are the entire reason why people aren't going to church today? No. But I'm saying that it doesn't help. Pastor James Hall describes the Catholic Church in this way. We really are one church, at least we are to God, going in every way conceivable after our real competition, which is never another church, but rather that many-headed monster of cynicism, hollowness, violence, greed, hedonism, selfishness, and disbelief. So I believe in the Catholic Church as a prayer, a longing, a searching after our elusive unity in Christ, a reminder that we get it wrong, and that sometimes we get it right, and we anticipate life with God in heaven where there will be no sections for various denominational bodies. Friends, I hope for unity in the church. I hope and pray for this unity locally. May Macedonia be a place and a family who experiences the unifying presence of the Holy Spirit in the face of whatever divisions culture throws our way. I hope and pray for this unity as a denomination. If we have to divorce one another because of our differing views on human sexuality, then we are not facing the common enemy together. We are spending our time making the other side out to be the enemy. What a waste of breath and life. I hope and pray for this unity as a global church. Friends, if the two billion plus people who claim the name of Jesus lived as followers of Jesus, this world would be a different place. We will pray today for the Holy Catholic Church and respond that they may all be one that we may all be one. Oh, I pray that we'll mean it. Another incredible facet of the creed, then, is the line we say right after I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. When we say this, we are proclaiming that we are not only unified with one another across space, which is what Catholic means, but we are also unified across time. We emphasize this each year on All Saints Day, and we proclaim it each week as we gather around the table when we say, with all your saints and in all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. You probably haven't thought about that very much. You probably just say, that's nice words. But, but with all your saints, in all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. So this proclamation of unity is in fact a prayer, a longing that we would all be one just as Jesus prayed for us. And friends, if that's the case, we need the church. And the church needs us. Here's the reality. We all know the problems of church. There are people in it, and people make messes. Outsiders to the church want to point out just how unholy the church is. They see the hypocrisy and the problems, and you know what? They're right. But the church is not claiming to be perfectly holy. We shouldn't be. We should be a mess because we are a hospital for sinners, right? So often, people think that they cannot darken the doors of a church until they have their whole life right, and until everything looks good, and their 2.3 kids are here, and it looks perfect, and everyone looks all nice every day, and, and, and that your life is put together. And you know what? That's not who church is for. First of all, no one has 2.3 children. That's impossible. Anyway, but... And here's the deal. We cannot live the Christian life alone. People who want to say that they are spiritual but not religious point to the problems of organized religion and their problems that they label are real. The church has failed in many areas. The church may have failed you personally, and you may be wondering, I don't even know how I'm even part of it and still around. But we cannot escape the need for each other. We cannot get away from the fact that Jesus left us this body of believers to care for one another deeply. 
Adam Hamilton states it like this. He says, the church is God's answer to our existential need for belonging, community, acceptance, support, and love. You don't ever have to be alone. In other words, the church's purpose is our mission here at Macedonia, working together to connect isolated people with God's family. Whenever we are not doing that as a church, when people come in and do not connect with us, we are not doing our job. But all of us here, in varying ways, have experienced isolation. And we have found family in the church. So we should be a hodgepodge group of people who have different opinions and don't quite get it right all of the time. And we should also have the grace to extend to one another that shows us just how winsome and wonderful the love of God in Jesus is. For people are isolated, and the church is God's antidote to isolation. Recent studies reported by the Health Resources and Services Administration showed this, that two in five Americans report that they are sometimes or always feel their social relationships are not meaningful. And one in five say they feel lonely or socially isolated. They also said in that same report that chronic loneliness is the same for one's health as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. The church is God's antidote to isolation. In our consumeristic culture, we have made church to be about what it does for me. It feeds me. It gets me on the right path for my week. It is good for me. Me, me, me. When we are truly finding life within God's family, however, church becomes other-focused. To paraphrase John F. Kennedy, ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. The church is possibly the only place in America today where deep conversations and disagreements can happen in safe space. You ever try to have those conversations around your dining room table, right? Where deep conversations about the deepest things in life and deep disagreements can happen in a safe space. James Howell writes, to grow beyond my pet biases, I need the give and take we can enjoy in the church. We test our beliefs, exposing ourselves to the insights and doubts of others. We let the church scrutinize our lives. Where else can you be talked to about life and death? Where else will you go to be reminded that you are not just a bundle of desires, that you are more than a worker for some company's profit margin, that you have a spiritual side? Where else will you hear any word even subtly challenging our culture? And how will you make a difference in the world? Friends, where else? Where else will you gather with 100 people and eat lasagna when you're done? Where else will you rub shoulders with people 80 years older or younger than you who aren't your blood relative? Where else will you find people who pray for you in your deepest time and need and care about the depths of who you are? I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. 